The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Great, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Sports Talk New York. I'm your host, Rob Kramer. Uh, how how could you have a better lead-in than Bill Donahue? I want to thank Bill for giving me that plug at the end, and uh, always great to hear everything that he has going on in the first hour of Sports Talk 1240, but now I'm here, taking over in the second hour uh, of uh, Sports Talk New York, right here on WGBB. Um, thanks for sticking with me here tonight, uh, as, uh, you know, it's... Sunday night, April 18th. We're just a couple of weeks now into the baseball season. Um, hockey, regular season, winding down right now. we got a real good playoff race going on in there. The Islanders in the hunt for the division title. The Rangers in the hunt for the final spot. The fourth seed in this weird COVID uh, playoff race they have now where uh, only the first four teams from the, uh, the Eastern Division... Uh, are going to make the playoffs. The Rangers currently sitting fifth, four points back. The Islanders are now two points back of uh, the first place um, Washington Capitals. And the Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers are currently playing right now as uh, they were winding down. There were uh, no score late in the game, but the Islanders would put one in in overtime from Nicoletti. And the Islanders would get both points today to hold on. The Islanders now still just hanging in there. Um, just a couple of points behind Washington, one point ahead of Pittsburgh with the same amount of games played. So we got a tight race at the top, a tight race at the bottom. Hockey is in full swing. Baseball, another story, though. Uh, the Mets and the Yankees going opposite directions, and not the directions that we're used to right now. Right now, the Mets coming off a series victory in in uh, Colorado. Uh, they took a They split a doubleheader yesterday after being snowed out. On Friday, yes, that's correct. They got snowed out, and as a matter of fact, the Mets are now moving on to Chicago, where they're also expecting snow on Tuesday night. So a crazy beginning of the season to the Mets, where in so far the first eleven games they've had eight postponements. So it's just been crazy with the amount of games that the Mets have lost and and have had to make up and played double headers and everything they've had to do, but. No matter what's been going on right now, they've been getting great starting pitching, and they're 7-4 sitting in first place in the National League East. Yankees, on the other hand, not so great. They've only won one series so far. They've lost every other series they've played, including getting the broom today at Yankee Stadium by the Tampa Bay Rays, losing uh, all three to that, their division rival, and it's not becoming much of a rivalry right now as... Uh, the series and the uh, the most recent games played between these teams are going heavily in Tampa Bay's favor, and but we'll get into that in a little bit. As the Yankees currently at five and ten sit in the basement of the American League, not a uh, statement that we've made many times since the last time that happened in 1991. So it's been about 30 years since the last time the Yankees have had a start this bad. Um, th- don't expect it to continue, though. The Yankees are still a good team, and eventually they're going to wake up, especially those bats. But what we will be starting with tonight, what nobody could have predicted coming into this season, 
Um, you well, you could have predicted it, but you would have been called crazy, as the red hot, the on fire, the young, the go-getting New York Knicks just ripped off their sixth straight victory today as they defeat the New Orleans Pelicans, 122-112 in overtime at Madison Square Garden to kick off a six-game homestand. Now, you know, the Knicks just came from a uh, West Coast swing where they played a couple of games out West, one against New Orleans, and the other night in Dallas as well. They took both those games. Uh, Julius Randle has been on a tear, 33 points today after dropping 44 on Friday against Kristaps Porzingis and the Dallas Mavericks. Um, You know, he's the first Knicks since Carmelo Anthony to score 30-plus points in four straight games. Um, and, and that was in 2014. He's the first Knicks since 2009 when Nate Robinson ha- had uh, a game in which he scored 30 points, had 10 assists, and 5 steals in a game. He is just... Julius Randle's playing on another level right now. And I don't think a lot of people respect the fact of how good this guy has been this season for the Knicks. Last year, he came over, he played decent, 17, 18 points a game. Um, you know... He was a good player. I don't know if he was worth the money the Knicks were, playing, were paying him last year. Now, he'd be worth the money if the Knicks were paying him double the way he's doing right now. He is just on a completely another level. He has gone from um, a good player to an elite player. And supposedly this all started with Tom Thibodeau challenging him to take his game to another level before this season began. If you don't know, Tom Thibodeau is the new coach for the New York Knicks. He took over for them. Uh, just this past uh, December when the season restarted. Um, well, the season started when the season started late because of uh, COVID-related issues. Um, so right now, you know, the Knicks are on one of their best runs that we've seen in a long time. Now, they went in, in halftime today. The Knicks were up by 13 and fell apart in the second half. It really looked bad, even with five with five or four minutes left in the third in the fourth quarter it really did not look like the Knicks were going to pull themselves together even as late as about a minute left it looked like the Knicks were still going to lose this game but boy they just played hard they hit shots they uh, played good defense they sent the Pelicans to the line when the Pelicans were not hitting free throws and the Pelicans hurt themselves time and time again and the Knicks pulled it off uh, in overtime, they took it. It was a last-second three-point shot that sent the game to overtime. Um, New Orleans had one other opportunity to respond. Couldn't get it done. Sent the game to OT. The Knicks completely overwhelmed them in overtime, 122-112. Like I said, the six straight win. Now, the six straight wins, the first time the Knicks have won six games in a row since March of 2014. It's even the first time since that long that the Knicks have won five games in a row. So unprecedented territory for the last, really, seven years, seven-plus years um, for, for the New York Knicks. Um, you know, they're 18-10 and 10 in the Garden this year, so this six-game homestand, the last final game with the final five standing in front of them remaining, um, really bode well for this team. They seem to be very comfortable at home. Um, they're 31-27. and 27. Now, when you hear that record, it doesn't inspire you you know like when you look at the the nets record right now they're 39 and 18 they're banged up a little bit they got a couple of guys on the shelf you know kevin durant got hurt today uh kyrie irvin you know he's been on and off um they've got harden coming back from an injury 
So even with those injuries, still you can look at that Nets record and say to yourself, 39 and 18, that's a really good team that has a really good chance of performing well in the playoffs. When you look at the Knicks, 31 27 doesn't really tell the full story of what this team is and how this team has come together and the youth and exuberance this team has. This is a, a very, very talented team with a lot of raw, raw talent out there. I mean, you have guys like who's, uh, you know, a guy that's been injured, Mitchell Robinson. He's not even out there on this team. He, he had a tough injury a couple weeks ago and they've replaced him well with center, uh, Nerlens Noel, who has really come into his own, just been a, a staunch defender in the paint for this team. He's coming down with rebounds. Uh, he's not going to provide much offensively, but he's going to be there defensively. Uh, and that's what the Knicks ha- have this year and the Knicks need to keep doing. This is what Thibodeau has been preaching. This is a guy who came from the Jeff Van Gundy school in that he was an assistant coach for those late 90s Knicks teams up until Van Gundy's last year here. He followed Van Gundy to Houston. This is a guy that preaches defense, and it all it takes is for this team to buy in. And this young team has certainly bought in. You look at a guy like Derrick Rose that the Knicks brought in a couple of uh, weeks into the season just to he's a, a veteran that you can rely on. He went out and dropped 23 points off the bench today too. This is a guy that can still perform at a high level. This is a guy that can be in there and relay the messages that Thibodeau is trying to preach to these young kids, you know, RJ Barrett and um, you know, Emmanuel Quickly and a lot of these other guys that they're trying to get in there. Even guys like Frank Nilakina who they 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 cycle in every once in a while. Um you know, a guy like Emmanuel Quickly, who's quickly, no pun, you know, no pun intended, becoming a real reliable guy off the bench, especially late in the games to hit free throws. He was five out of six for free throws today, and his is uh, you know, f- of his eight points, so five of those eight points came from the free throw line. This kid has been very impressive. You know, he might not be. He, he had a couple of games earlier in the year where people were getting carried away with his expectations. This isn't going to be a guy that this year is going to average 20 points a game. But this is going to be a guy that's going to come in there and make his impact felt. You know, even younger guys like Obi Toppin, who was the uh, Knicks, for, uh, you know, number one pick this year uh, when they selected him eighth, I believe. Um, and he has, his playing time has dwindled recently, but only because the Knicks are really in playoff contention. I mean... Right now, Tom Thibodeau has this team, believe it or not, 31-27, and 27, a half game out of fourth place behind the Atlanta Hawks, who they play later this week. They play the Hawks on Wednesday. So when you look at the schedule, Tuesday, they get a, a team that right now, if the season ended today, would be in the playoffs, the um, uh, the Charlotte uh, Hornets. They they get them, you know, the Hornets are 27-28, eighth in the East, Um that's a team that you keep your eye on um, because that's a team that still is is tough. There's they're still a good team. There's a reason why they're in playoff position right now, even at a game under 500. But then the real test is going to be on Wednesday against the Atlanta Hawks, 31 and 26, fourth in the East at Madison Square Garden. Both those games at Madison Square Garden, by the way, like I said, the the next five will be. Um, so you know. This is just something that uh, the Knicks are going to have to um, 
really look forward to. And you know the way this team is playing right now, they're embracing every single moment. Uh, congratulations to the Knicks. You know, winning six straight in the regular season will make you feel good. It doesn't necessarily accomplish the goal. You still want to make the playoffs. You don't want to collapse down the stretch. There's still, you know, a few games left in this regular season until the playoffs start in a few weeks where you really have to batten down the hatches, cross your T's, dot your I's, make sure this team is ready to go. And hopefully when you get there, you get a guy like Mitchell Robinson back. Hopefully when you get there, you know, just that experience alone is going to be great for guys like Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin and Frank Nielkina and, you know, even Julius Randle, who's never played in a playoff game, and R.J. Barrett, of course. So, you know, it's I'm going to be saying a lot of these same things in a couple of minutes, actually, when I when I start talking about the Rangers and the the role that they're on as the two Madison Square Garden teams really start to heat up in the late stages of their prospective seasons. But just I, I had to start off this episode by tipping my cap to Thibodeau and everybody on that Knicks team. Uh, they got a hell of a team over there right now. You know, a team that everybody counted out coming into this season. Nobody thought the Knicks, you know, when, when you look at a lot of these numbers, too, I mean, the Knicks, this is just the fourth time since the 2012-2013 season that they've won 30 games. Now, this isn't a full 82-game season. I think they're only playing 72 games this year. But that th- winning 32 games or 30 games is not a good season. That means you're still going... 32 and 50, and that was Porzingis' first two game, uh, first two seasons in, in the NBA. They went 32 and 50, and they went 31 and 51. The only other time was was the last time they made the playoffs at 37 and 45. So, you know, you can you can say what you want, but right now the fact that they're over 500, have 30 wins, and right now look like they're going to end the season over 500, and potentially make their way towards 40 wins. You gotta be happy with, with how this is going, especially in Thibodeau's first year. This is a team that won 21 games last year, 17 games the year before. They went 17 and 65. That's as bad as you can be, ladies and gentlemen. And you gotta tip your cap to Thibodeau and everybody on that Knicks bench for what they've done and the excitement that they're bringing to Madison Square Garden. And if we're gonna be talking about excitement at Madison Square Garden, you know what? we might as well just turn the page to the New York Rangers because the New York Rangers have been on an absolute roll lately. They're 7-1-2 in their last 10 games. They've gotten 16 of their last 20 possible points. Um, They just went out and completely dominated a four-game series against the New Jersey Devils, becoming the first team in NHL history to record four straight wins in consecutive games against the same opponent. You know, hockey's not like baseball where you play three-game series and four-game series. Usually it's like back-to-back games against the same team at most. You don't play four games. But in this weird COVID season, the way that this has just broken out this year is that the Rangers, for some reason at this point in the year, played the Devils for four consecutive games over the course of about a week. And uh, the Rangers won all four of them. They shut out. Igor Shesterkin got the shutout the first two games. Um... They uh, they the Rangers won six to three yesterday at Madison Square Garden, and then they won five to three today in New Jersey. So, 
you know, Shesterkin became the first Rangers goalie to shut out the same opponent in back-to-back games since Lone Chabot did it in 1927. So you got to give <laughs> that's something. It's almost you're going back almost a hundred years, and you got to really give him credit for that. Uh, this kid is really looking good. He came in short notice today when Georgiev got hurt at the end of the first period and played well. But then, luckily for the Rangers, Georgiev came back and finished out that game and looked pretty well doing it, even uh, even blowing a three nothing lead. But you know, you got to remember too, the Devils are a desperate team right now and did not want to be embarrassed for the fourth straight game on their home ice. And uh, unfortunately for them, but fortunately for the Rangers and their fans, they did. Um, a lot of fun things going on right now with the Rangers. I mean, they're they're scoring goals like nobody's business. They're just completely out of control with that. Um, you know, you have Artemi Panarin, who's only played in 34 games this year, has over 50 points. He is just, he's averaging over a point and a half a game which is up there with Yarmir Yager and John Rattel for, you know, John Rattel in uh, 1972 scored 109 points in 63 games. Um, that's good for the, the highest points per game that a, a New York Ranger has ever had in his career. And um, right, right now it looks like Artemi Panarin is at least going to challenge that as he had another great game today. Um, he has he, he just is incredible worth every penny the Rangers spent on him in, in uh, the free agency period from two years ago. Um, you know, and right now the, uh, he's he's helping these other guys get in too. You know, you see Kravstov got in. He had his first NHL goal today. Lafreniere scored his eighth goal of the season today, the number one overall pick from last season. Um, Zibanejad had the game winner. I know Zibanejad's an up-and-comer. But, you know, Heedle had a couple of assists. This team looks primed and ready, and I'm telling you right now, much like the Knicks, where, and I think the Rangers more so than the Knicks, the, the, the Knicks would be very tough in the playoff against really any opponent, but they're, they're not going to, they're probably not going to beat the Nets in a seven-game series. They're definitely not going to beat the Lakers in a seven-game series. But you know what? On the other hand, I think the Rangers could beat the Capitals in a seven-game series. I think the Rangers could beat the Islanders in a seven-game series. So it, it doesn't necessarily mean I think it's going to happen, but I think the Rangers have a good shot at it. The Islanders still on paper are the more experienced, better team. Same thing with the Capitals. The more experienced, better team, probably to a certain extent, at least on the Islanders' part, better coached, even though I do like Rangers head coach David Quinn. But, you know, when you're a guy like Barry Trotz, who is up there, the number two or three, you know, uh, win leader all-time in NHL coaches, you can't necessarily say a guy that's in his third year is is going to be coaching his team better because Barry Trotz is a hell of a coach. Um, but and, and, and the Islanders are a great team, especially don't don't forget about the, um, the trade they made with the uh, Devils, which everybody really thought that the Devils were going to be, uh, you know, um, hanging it up after that, which they did really for the first two games against the Rangers getting shut out. But when you look at this Islanders team with uh, with tr- Travis Zajac and Kyle Palmieri, um, those are two really good, tested veterans who have been there in the past. They, uh, you know, you stick them in the Islanders lineup. You really, the, the Islanders are really going to be hoping soon that their captain comes back, uh, riding in on that white horse to save them in, in the in the in the postseason to add that little bit of extra spark. He's not going to be here for the rest of the playoffs. Uh, for, for the rest of the regular season, but maybe he'll show up at some point 
in the playoffs for them. But um, you know, when even when you look at that Devils series, uh, at, at, at this Devils team, you know, it's still an NHL team. They're still going to go out there and play tough hockey, and the Rangers still took care of them. Even though Blackwood played very well for for, for a goalie with not much of a team in front of him, so. You know, right now the Rangers, like I said, seven one and two. Their last ten games, they're twenty three sixteen and six, fifty two points, trailing the Boston Bruins, who are twenty five twelve and six, and have fifty six points by four points. The Bruins have also played two less games than the Rangers, so it could be worse than that. And the Bruins have been hot lately. The Bruins took back to back games from the Islanders. The Bruins beat the Capitals six to three today. Uh, the Bruins have a very Young goalie who's who's playing very good right now, you know this is a, it's the, the Bruins are a good team, especially picking up Taylor Hall. A lot of people forgot how good Taylor Hall is. You know when you go to Buffalo, people forget about you. You know, Kyle Poso got hurt and he's he's going to miss the remainder of the season. It looks like, and people forgot he's in the league. That's the th- and he was a really really good player when he was at the Islanders. So. If you're, um, you know, looking at the the playoff race as a Ranger fan, it, they're going to need help. They're going to need help. There's 12 games rest in the season. Uh, that they, they're going to need help to get in there, but it doesn't mean it can't be done. As long as the Rangers keep winning their games, uh, it, it can happen. And it's going it's all going to start on Tuesday, as now they had this four game, you know, soft schedule with the Devils get out of the way. They got. Eight out of eight points, exactly what they needed to do, and now the Islanders and everything else start on Tuesday. They got to make sure that they beat the Islanders on Tuesday because the Islanders' playoff spot is is solidified for the most part, and unless they really go in the tank over the next month or so, the the Islanders are you know look pretty locked in at either being potential division winners or at least maybe number two or three. the The Islanders are going to be there. The Rangers, on the other hand, they're going to need a little help, and they're going to need a little grit to get these uh, these last few weeks under their belt. Um, or it could be like last year, where if uh, the Rangers didn't get helped out by um, the the whole COVID situation expanding the playoff format, the Rangers, especially with that Kreider injury, probably would have missed the playoffs last year. Um, a year ago at this time, you know, I don't know if I would have said the same thing, because I really really was blown away by how the Rangers looked. But if you really think about it, uh, especially without Kreider at this time last year, Rangers probably missed the playoffs. Um, but different year, different story. Let's see what the Rangers can do. And uh, just like I, I mentioned Alexi Lafreniere before, uh, the 2020 number one overall draft pick that the Rangers had. And if you look at his numbers um, since February 20th, where you got to remember, too, about Lafreniere. This guy, this kid missed pretty much a year of hockey, he really hadn't played in a full year. Unlike you know, because he j- j- playing in the juniors and all the stuff with the with the extra um, you know protocols in Canada, where these guys weren't even really allowed on the ice for 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 a lot of the time. Unlike in the states or in Europe, where you could at least get on the ice as long as you weren't around anybody. But in in Canada, it wasn't the same. And um, Lafreniere, it took a little while to find his game. But it looks like the Rangers really got another, uh, uh, really got another young stud on their hands right now with uh, Lafreniere 
looking he's taken his game to another level. Since February 20th, Lafreniere's seven even-strength goals are fifth among NHL rookies, and his 13 points are fourth. So you're really starting to see that growth. Um, him, Capo, Filipino, uh, all these guys, and Kravstov adding that goal today, the 2018 number nine overall pick for the Rangers, one of those early first-round picks that the Rangers knew would take a couple of years to develop. Uh, last year was a little rocky for him. He bounced between the American League and um, the uh, the KHL over in Russia. Um, he, he's back here now, and he's playing great. And it's great to see him on the ice as the two surging Madison Square Garden teams uh, are you know, just on fire right now. And at le- the Knicks look like they're heading to the playoffs, and it would be great if we could get the Rangers in too. And then who knows, if uh, if things break break the right way, the Islanders win the division and the Rangers finish uh, fourth, then in the first round of the playoffs this year, we're going to be seeing a Rangers-Islanders playoff series. That would be the first time a Rangers and Islanders playoff series has happened since 1994 when the Rangers swept the Islanders out on their way to the Stanley Cup that year. So, um, And the Islanders have, you know, the, there have been a couple of instances in the past, too, where the Islanders knocked them out. Uh, f- famous, the Islanders famously did it in 75. The Rangers famously did it to the Islanders in 79 before the Islanders ran off four straight Stanley Cups. And then in the 80s, the Islanders pretty much just domin- dominated the Rangers in those early goings, potentially standing in the way of the Rangers ending their uh, 54-year drought even earlier than that. So, uh, you know, a lot of fun things to talk about on the horizon with the basketball and the hockey. Um, Islander fans, keep your head up. A great win tonight by by your team. A one nothing victory. The uh, as things just keep getting bleaker for the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. So, um, great things looking up for the Islanders. A big showdown on Tuesday between the two local teams. A lot of fun going on. And uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be taking my first break of the day. I want to thank you for sticking with me here uh, late on this Sunday night. And uh, when we get back, we'll be talking Mets and Yankees, a little NFL draft. So I'll catch you on the other side. Thanks for being with me. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, and thank you for sticking around here on this Sunday night with me on WGBB Sports Talk. Right now, Sports Talk New York on the WGBB radio network here. The oldest Long Island radio station, by the way, so love WGBB. Uh, thanks for tuning in here. Um, we still got a lot to get to right now as the, the NFL draft is happening this Thursday night. Um, 
you know, the, the Jets are the number two overall pick. The Giants are right in there at 11. So um, there's a lot of stuff to get into with that. Uh, but before we get into that, though, I want to start talking about some baseball. As uh, we had a, we've had a, a lot of baseball for some teams over the last couple of weeks. As it looks like the uh, currently the um, Yankees have played 15 games so far. The Mets have played 11. I'm surprised it's even that close with the amount of times the Mets have been uh, rained out or snowed out or coveted out as uh, the Mets, the first three games of the year against the Washington Nationals got wiped out due to the Nationals having a COVID outbreak on their team. Uh, the Mets have been rained out three times. They've been snowed out once, and they're keeping their fingers crossed and hoping that on Tuesday they're not going to be snowed out again. So right now Mother Nature is not being friendly to the Mets going early on this year. But uh, it looks like they're going to be settling things down. And, um, you know, it, it, hopefully, you know, once, you know, they, they always say April showers bring May flowers. And no team in baseball right now is hoping that that statement is true more than the New York Mets because they're sick of sitting on their hands. But you know what? They're 7-4, and four, and I'm not complaining. They're, they're winning most of their games when they go out there, uh, and, and they look good doing it. Um, for the most part, aside from hitting. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a minute right now. I want to start off with the Yankees and uh, just the, the very strange start the Yankees have had, a very un-Yankees-like start. The Yankees lost 4-2 today to Tampa Bay. Um, you know, just a, a really devastating loss for the team. You know, they, they, they had Garrett Cole starting today for their team. He's their $300 million man. He's the guy that the Yankees went out there to pay uh, and to be the stopper. That, that's what they call you know a guy like DeGrom, a guy like Cole, a guy like Matt Scherzer down in uh, Washington. Um, you know, the better pitchers in the league, Clayton Kershaw out with the Dodgers. Um, any of those guys, you know, you could put on the same list of being a stopper, where which means if you're on a losing streak, your team is, isn't going well, and you need a guy to step up and put the team on his back and say, fellas, I'm going to lead us to a win today. That's your ace pitcher. That's the guy. And Cole, you know, he, he was he was good today. He wasn't great. He wasn't great. The Yankees gave him a one nothing lead on the back of a Giancarlo Stanton home run early. And that was in the bottom of the second. And then in the top of the third, he went and gave it right back, giving up two runs to be... Uh, 2-2. Then the Yankees go out there and tie it back up again, make it 2-2. And right before he comes out in the in the sixth, the, he gives it right back, uh, going down 3-2. And then before you know it, it was uh, 4-2, and that was the final the Yankees would lose to today. As uh, Garrett Cole goes out there, takes his first loss of the season, six and a third innings, five hits, three runs, two earned, no walks, ten strikeouts. So a pretty good line for him, not great. A, uh, you know, a line that if you have a team with a good offense should be good enough to win. But right now, when you look at the Yankees, they're not hitting. They're not doing much of anything. Um, I'm going to run down this list right now for the Yankees. Just, just listen, just ugly, ugly, ugly batting across the board. Um, they're, they're number three hitter, which I still don't understand how he's their three hitter. Aaron Hicks, 160 batting average. Giancarlo Stanton, who did it the home run today and has been good at times this season, 176. Glaber Torres, 
the guy the Yankees traded originally Araldis Chapman for before re-signing Chapman, and in just one of the what was considered one of the steals of the century, and uh, Glaber Torres, a very very good hitter. Still, I'm not saying that Glaber Torres is not a very talented hitter because he is, but unfortunately for the Yankees, so far through the first 15 games of the season, he's only hitting 196. Newly acquired second baseman Rognet Odor, who they got from the Texas Rangers, 125 early on in his Yankee career. Clint Frazier, who ripped it up in spring training, and I lauded a praise on to because he deserved it um, in, in, in spring training, and he earned his spot, 167. Another guy who earned his spot in spring training and just did not bring it out of the gate, Jay Bruce, 180 to start the regular season. Four for 34 at the plate. So bad, so bad that he retired today. Now, I don't want to jump on Jay Bruce. Great major leaguer, former Met, um, you know, a guy who was on that 2016 wildcard team that lost to the Giants in the wildcard playoff game. But Jay Bruce, you know, struggled down the stretch, but was, was decent. He had a couple of big hits. Um, he was on that team. I'll give him credit for it. Uh, he had a great year for the Mets the next year before getting traded, uh, hitting 29 home runs in the regular season for them. Um, but, you know, Jay Bruce just uh, was not cut out to be the Yankees' first baseman um, as as he retired. But if you look at this, though, Jay Bruce, his, his OPS was uh, 467, and the Yankees, uh, no, 466. And if you look at the Yankees' number three hitter, Aaron Hicks, his OPS is 476. So um, I don't know if that's boding well for the Yankees right now, but when you look at their lack of hitting, I mean, you know, you've got obviously LeMahieu, who's hitting 286. He's doing good. Judge is hitting around 250. He's been okay. Urshela has brought that batting average back up the last few days. Gary Sanchez has actually been hitting this year out of nowhere. Hig- uh, Higashioka. The Yankees' backup catcher has done a phenomenal job off the bench this year for them. But the guys they need, Hicks, Stanton, Torres, Frazier, not doing it at all, not cutting it out. And uh, now all that badness is even before I get into the badness of what the Yankees have done in their recent times against the Tampa Bay Rays. The Yankees have now been swept by the Rays at Yankee Stadium back-to-back years for the first time ever. 2020 and 2021, they, they, they were swept three straight at Yankee Stadium at least once. Tampa Bay has now won 15 of the last 18 regular season games against the Yankees. 15 of 18, they're 15 and 3. Crazy. That's not even counting when the Tampa Bay Rays knocked the Yankees out of the ALDS last year in the best of five series, which they won 3 to 2 in a decisive game five. The Yankees have lost five straight overall, five and ten, worst in the American League. They sit in the basement, like I said earlier, for the first time since 1991, just looking terrible. Now look at this. I was talking about how bad the Yankee batting has been since this, the season started, as all those guys are underperforming. Now you expect them to break out, but when you look at the Yankees, um, they're... Uh, they're pitching, it's uh, it's not a much better story. As you see, Garrett Cole and Jordan Montgomery this season 
are the only two holding um, a candle right now. Seven games, 41 and two-third innings, 12 earned runs, and 2.63 ERA between the two of them. The other Yankee starters combined have an ERA over seven in the other eight games. Just terrible. The Yankee bullpen has not been as, uh, you know, dominant as it has been in the past either. But the Yankees have a chance to make it right now as they host Atlanta, who is, is winning big tonight in Chicago, but they've been off to a so-so start so far this season. Um, and you got to hope that maybe the two games at Yankee Stadium, the Yankees can knock them around a little bit um, as, as a, because of Atlanta's so-so start. But the Yankees haven't even been so-so. They've been much worse than that. But after those next two games, Tuesday and Wednesday at Yankee Stadium, they're going to be on an eight-game road trip with four in Cleveland and four in Baltimore. Now, Baltimore is the only series the Yankees have won this year. They ended up losing two out of three twice to Toronto, once in Toronto and one at Yankee Stadium, and they've lost five out of six to Tampa Bay, losing two out of three in Tampa and getting swept at Yankee Stadium. So the only time that the Yankees have won a series was when Tampa Bay came to Yankee Stadium early on this season, and the Yankees won the first two and dropped the finale. So the Yankees really, really have to get right in, you know, excluding the next two games against Atlanta, because who knows what's going to happen there. Um, but the four against Cleveland, who, you know, Cleveland still is decent. They're, they're a decently talented team, but, you know, when you lose guys like Carrasco and Lindor and, you know, a bunch of the other names that they've shelled out the last couple of years, um, that team is not as much of a threat as they were even last year. Uh, but but still good, and you know Baltimore is obviously one of the lower teams in, in the league, but better than they were a couple of years ago. Baltimore is still a threat, um, especially offensively. Baltimore has a very good offense, and they even have this kid, their ace John Means, who went out there and got outdueled against Texas today, but threw seven shutout innings. So Baltimore, luckily, uh, well you know the the Yankees are hoping that they they don't see. John Means in that series, but in a four-game set with him starting today, the Yankees are probably going to catch him for at least one of those games. But um, you, you know, when you when you look at at the Yankees right now, you just can't be beating Baltimore. You can't get all your wins against the Baltimore Orioles. You're going to have to go out there and beat a good team every once in a while. You're going to have to go out there and you know and start hitting and pitching and the Yankees haven't done either and apparently on Saturday after that loss um, Aaron Boone ripped into his team which is uncharacteristic of Boone because he's been kind of a go with the flow type of guy he's kind of been don't rock the boat he's been more of a players manager Um, but apparently it's it's getting to him and you know I would say uh, as much as as much as success as Aaron Boone has had over the last couple of years as the Yankee manager, you know, a couple of hundred win seasons under his belt already, all three years in the playoffs. Um, you know, he, he's been to an ALCS. Unfortunately for them, it ended on that Altuve walk-off uh, in, in game six of the ALCS. The Yankees were two wins away from getting to the World Series. Didn't work out. Um, I personally am never at this point going to call for Aaron Boone's job. 
Um, he's, I think he does a good job. I think he fits that team well. Um, but don't be surprised if the Yankees continue to underperform. If there starts to be circulations of rumors and innuendo about Aaron Boone being replaced, I don't know who by or I don't know who'd be making the decision, if it would be one of the Steinbrenners, if uh, it would solely be Cashman's call. And also, too, I personally feel that Brian Cashman is one of, if not the best GM in baseball. But you know what? When you look at this Yankee team, one of his his uh, drawbacks have been building a, a, a solid starting rotation. And I think something that he didn't even realize this year was letting Masahiro Tanaka go back to Japan could come back to really bite the Yankees in the butt because the Yankees starting rotation is not deep outside of, believe it or not, Jordan Montgomery, who I like, but I, I didn't think Montgomery was this good, um, and Garrett Cole. And when you get outside those two and, you know, you look at like a Jamison Tyone, who's a good pitcher, no doubt about it, but I don't know if he's fully back yet. Corey Kluber, mm, I don't know what what you're to expect out of Corey Kluber, because he doesn't look like the Corey, the old Corey Kluber. He does for like an inning or two, or three, but then I mean his his cue right now has been falling apart in like that fourth inning. Um, it kind of reminds me of like Matt Harvey when he came back, where he'd look on fire for two innings, and you're like, wow, it's the old Harvey back. And then the fourth inning, it, the wheels just fall off. So, I I don't know. I'm uh, and I'm not saying that Corey Kluber cannot straighten himself out because he too is coming off a couple of injury plagued seasons. So a month from now, if Jamison Tyone and Corey Kluber figure things out, Yankees could be sitting in a much better, enviable spot. But as for right now, 15 games into this season, where this is New York, baby, this is what have you done for me lately? And the answer for the Yankees right now is not much. So the Yankees have got to straighten themselves out. And they got to figure this thing out pretty quick. And, um, you know, a team right now that on the offensive side of things isn't doing that much but is pitching their brains out right now is the New York Mets. Uh, the, the National League New York team uh, right now is sitting in first place. As, uh, you know, when, when you look at the blizzard that they landed in on Friday at Coors Field, well, at Denver Airport on their way to Coors Field on Friday, you definitely would have thought that there was no way they were playing any games this weekend in Denver. But somehow, as the strange weather in Denver works out, they didn't play on, on, uh, on Friday. They played a very cold doubleheader where the the temperature started off in the 40s, and by the time the games really got underway, <laughs> was dipping deep into the 30s, um, and a lot of guys were freezing uh, their heads off. But um, you know, they ended up getting out there. They split the doubleheader. It was a tough way to lose the nightcap, as um, Jacob Barnes gave up a three-run homer to Fuentes in the eighth inning that really put the game in the way. It made a 4-2 game, uh, a 7-2 game, and actually even before that. It, it would have been 3-2 with the Mets with a chance to come back and tie it, but it, it, Jacob Barnes induced a double play ball where the Mets had the shift on, and the second baseman wasn't where the second baseman would normally be. 
So the ball went right into the outfield, the run scored, and the rest is history. But it was great in the, the first game of that doubleheader where Jacob DeGrom went out and just had an incredible game. Six innings, 14 strikeouts, uh, just complete domination. He threw really one bad pitch that day. And um, DeGrom, uh, you know, he let three earned runs, uh, three unearned runs, I'm sorry, but uh, was still just bearing down and made every pitch, kept his team in the game, did everything he could. And then Jonathan Villar tied the game with a base hit. And uh, before Francisco Lindor, the Mets, the Mets $300 man, as opposed to the Yankees $300 man, Garrett Cole, Francisco Lindor ripped a base hit. Probably his biggest hit as a Met thus far. That uh, he He's off to a rough start, too. He's only hitting about 189 right now. But that game-winning hit for DeGrom, I'm sure a lot of Met fans would take that hit over a lot of other spots because DeGrom needed that win. DeGrom went to 1-1. One one. He's got a 0.45 ERA. Now, then when you look at today, you look today, the, the Mets ended up winning today. Um... 2-1, eight just dominant, dominant innings from Marcus Stroman. As Marcus Stroman went out there, eight innings, three hits, one run, one walk, five strikeouts. He's got a 0.90 ERA. He's 3-0. Um, Stroman, just complete domination at Coors Field. That's the uncharacteristic statistic for a pitcher, as he's got a 1.64 ERA in three starts there. Uh, and if you know anything about... Coors Field in Denver, because they're so high above sea level, the ball, on average, travels about an extra 20% in the air. That means, I I heard them explaining it today, where if you have a 350-foot outfield fence, it really plays a lot more like a 315-foot outfield fence or a 310-foot outfield fence. Um, And... That that really comes into play a lot, especially in a, a ballpark like that where the ball could just jet out. But for some reason, DeGrom really pitched great there yesterday, and Stroman followed it up today. As a matter of fact, after both of them have made a Coors Field start, which usually demolishes pitchers' ERA. I mean, I saw a statistic yesterday where um, Max Scherzer and uh, um, Clayton Kershaw, both great pitchers, both have career ERAs over five. At that ballpark, now Degrom has one around two, and and uh, Stroman has it under two. When you look at this season as a whole, though, Degrom and uh, and Marcus Stroman have combined for forty innings pitched, twenty one hits, only three earned runs, six walks, and forty six strikeouts. That combined, they have a zero point six eight ERA. Just phenomenal, out-of-this-world numbers, especially when you consider that a third of those starts, two of the six, have come in Coors Field. So just completely crazy. And then that completely goes on top when you look at some of the Mets. I mean, I'm going to mention Brandon Nimmo off the top because Brandon Nimmo is just on, he's off to an incredible start, a 10-game hitting streak, hitting 447 with a 543 on base percentage. Crazy, crazy numbers. But the rest of the Mets lineup really isn't hitting that much. As I mentioned, Lindor hitting 189, but he had the game-winning hit. But then when you look at two, three of their big lefties, 
Dom Smith can four to a McNeil. They're hitting 229, 200, and 176, respectively. So Dom Smith doesn't seem to be much, doing much against anybody but Philadelphia pitching. Conforto doesn't seem to be doing much against anybody. And McNeil, while he's showing signs of life, still is not the, the 320 hitting Jeff McNeil that Met fans have become accustomed to over the last two to three years. Um, so, you know, an, another encouraging sign, Ed, Edwin Diaz having a pretty easy inning, getting a save for a second straight day. Also, um, James McCann threw out Trevor Story's stealing to end the game today. Uh, just That's the first time that's happened. I, I can remember in a long time for the Mets. As um, when, when you see McCann and you look at this, that, that's the third base runner that James McCann has thrown out so far this season. In, and he's only played eight games. Last year in their 60-game season, the Mets only threw out eight runners all year. So that's really boding well for the Mets. They're still not hitting in the clutch yet, but they're they're starting to come around. They're starting to, uh, you know, they're they're making it work, and that's what good teams do. They're seven and four. They're in first place, and everything is falling into place. They finally got Joey Lucchese to start. It was it wasn't great, obviously, three innings, three runs the other day, but it's been ten days since he last pitched, and he only threw two innings in that relief outing, so that was his first start as a Met. So. Uh, you know, Lucchese's going to be the the bounce-back-and-forth guy, especially now with Carrasco. Uh, Gary Cohen said, and I quote, that Carrasco is due to throw a five-inning simulated game in the next day or two. So that could either happen on Monday or Tuesday. And once he throws those five innings, there's every chance that maybe the following week after that that he joins the Mets rotation in the, in the regular season for the first time. So it's going to be uh, fun to see Carrasco get it back out there with the team and really make his Mets regular season debut. Um, not to mention, too, Noah Syndergaard is on the men, on the mound. Uh, I'm sorry, Noah Syndergaard is on the mend as he's coming around, uh, and it looks like uh, he's going to be rejoining the team at some point in June, possibly, they're saying. Uh, but when you look at this team right now, the Mets just look like a, a good team. If, if they're getting good outings from Trevor May, in that bullpen, if Aaron Loop looks as good as he did the other day out of the bullpen, and Edwin Diaz keeps it up, and you have a couple of these names, I, I liked what I saw at Hildenberger yesterday. Um, that was one of the highlights of the the loss. Maybe I don't know. Maybe Barnes doesn't stick around, but maybe Hildenberger does in the Mets bullpen. Um, you know, there, there's a, there's a lot of things to be happy about. Um, one of the depth guys I really liked. Uh, the signing was Jonathan VR. He's paid off at least two to three times already this year. Um, Al- Alberto Almora, the defensive-minded center fielder, who the Mets really, uh, you know, picked up this offseason just to be like the kind of Juan Lagares supplement. He pinch ran for James McCann after McCann singled late in the game, and he came around to score at a really close play on the plate. Uh, stuff like that, really great move. By Luis Rojas and Rojas went out of his uh, and Almora went out of his way and said that Rojas and a couple of the coaches came up to him about an inning earlier and said, "Hey, if McCann gets on, you're pinch running for him." So he was ready. He was down in the tunnels doing sprints, getting ready to go. So that, that's good managing. He tapped a guy on the shoulder and said, "Be ready," and that guy was ready and it ended up making a big difference in getting your ace 
a big time W. So just all good things happening for the Mets right now. Um, very, very happy with, uh, the stuff that, that I've been seeing. Um, I think that this team is poised for a, uh, a, a good playoff run. You know, you, you just gotta be really happy with what you're seeing out of these guys. Um, you know, I, I really also, as, uh, I finish up with the Mets here, um, they're, they're gonna be in Chicago for the next couple of days, so, um, a chance to get right against a team that's struggling out of the gate. So, really, really, uh, you know, and then after that, Mets come home for Washington, who's been struggling, and then two against the Red Sox. So, you always like to see Mets Red Sox games, Mets Nationals games, so, and Mets Cubs games. So, get ready for the next week, Mets fans. It's gonna be fun. Um, on top of that, uh, I want to just touch on the draft real quick as I'm running out of time here. Thanks for sticking with me, ladies and gentlemen. The Jets are picking number two. They're going to be getting Zach Wilson, it looks like, after Trevor Lawrence comes off the board to the Jaguars, number one. Um, Zach Wilson at a BYU. People are raving about him right now. Uh, the Jets seem like they're pretty much locked in at getting that. Um, you know, who knows where, where, where the Giants are going to go right now. Uh, at 11, a lot of mock drafts have them picking the uh, wide receiver at a uh, Alabama Waddle, Jalen Waddle. So it would be nice to see where the Giants go there because they could use some more dynamic playmakers on the outside. So it wouldn't surprise me if they either went for an offensive lineman to protect uh, not only Daniel Jones but open up holes for Saquon Barkley and, um, you know, or add a little more talent to the outside and pick up that receiver. So that's a possibility. Uh, and also for the Jets, they have their pick at number 23. The Jets have three picks in the first 20, uh, in the first 34 picks. So it's going to be real interesting to see where they go. A lot of people are saying that they're going to be taking Greg Newsom, um, at a Northwestern, the, the, the cornerback who's experienced some injuries. Uh, so it'd be nice to see if the Jets went that route. Uh, also offensive linemen. There's a couple of guys that, that a couple of ways they could go. Uh, Vera Tucker at USC. Um, there's a couple of guys out of, um, you know, um, out of Alabama, Landon Dickerson, uh, also Notre Dame, um, a couple of offensive linemen there too they could go to. And also, it, for, for that third round, th- th- that second round pick, maybe the running back for Clemson's, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. So, very interesting to see where these teams go. Uh, right now it's all speculation. I'm sure you could find a mock draft for anywhere you go in the world right now because that's what people are talking about. But ladies and gentlemen, it's just about time to get out of here. Thanks for sticking around with me. Thanks for Brian Grace behind the glass, the lead-in for Bill Donahue and uh, Rob for having me on WGBB. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget, Spotify, check out Michael Christodor, Christodor Chris. He's going to have a great The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.